An example of a contemporary invented religion is Snape Wives or Snapeism, a new religious movement that finds a connection to the literary works of J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter phenomenon. In this episode of the podcast, Dr. Zoe Alderton will share her research in the new religious movement and invented religion of Snape Wives. Stay tuned. This is the Multi-Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. I am the host, John Moorhead, and I'm privileged to have today, all the way from Australia, uh, Dr. Zoe Alderton. And uh, Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let me read just a little bit of your bio, and folks can look in the program notes and uh, find out more and find a link uh, to Dr. Alderton's work. Uh, she is a transdisciplinary researcher specializing in academic communications and the promotion of scholarly excellence. She's with an organization that I think you put this together, right? Way of the Scholar? Yeah, that's right. That's my own academic consultancy business. Okay. And she also has been employed by a range of universities and has helped them in their development of exciting curricula and innovative course design, including University of Sydney, Western Sydney University, Australian Catholic University, and the University of New England. So it sounds like you keep busy. Yeah, try to. Um, and at the moment, I'm uh, a proud member of the School of Economics at University of Sydney. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, something. I, I've come across some of your work in Snapeism and Snape Wives, and that's connected to the uh, phenomenon of Harry Potter. And I must uh, thank a colleague of mine, Stephen Bradford Long, whom I've interviewed on this uh, program before on Satanism. And uh he sent me an email and said, you need to talk about this on your podcast. And I had never heard of it before, even though I've worked in the area of hyper-real spirituality, invented religions. I co-edited a volume with Carol Cusack on uh, the, the, the sacred and fantastic fandom. And we have a chapter in there by a contributor that deals with uh, the sacred in connection with Harry Potter, but nothing uh, on Snapeism. So somehow this missed my radar. So my first question to you is, how did this come on your radar and how did it capture your interest both personally and as a scholar? Well, it is very niche. Uh, it's certainly not a large religious group. So uh, don't panic uh, you or any audience members for not knowing it. Um, I came about it perhaps uh, in not an entirely formal academic way. Uh, so a lot of the originating points of Snapeism happened around about 2005 to 2007. And this was a time when I was spending um, quite a bit of time on LiveJournal uh, as part of the Harry Potter fandom. And I remember back then studying religion as an undergraduate and thinking, oh, it would be nice to have the skills one day to actually be able to reflect on the state wives and a lot of the religious behavior that I'm observing here with them. 
And as things happened, I ended up getting a PhD in religion. And after doing that, it sort of occurred to me, well, maybe now is the time to go back, go through these archives and actually pick out some of these religious trends that I had seen several years prior. Uh, So a lot of it just came from being there at the time. Uh, And I think learning a lot more about the study of religion probably changed my personal response to the Snape Wives. I think at the time I probably had some fairly pejorative opinions about them, but the more that I reflected on it in an academic way, the more I realised that perhaps I was being unfair to these people. Yeah, the uh, work of yours that I came across was an article that you wrote in Religions from 2014, which is fascinating. And you treat this later in the essay, but I want to put it up front if we could. I run into constantly the objection about so-called real religions or legitimate religions and, and fake religions or what have you. And I've run into it in the context of the Satanic Temple, uh, most recently with uh, Scientology, where I made some comments. I'm not a Scientologist, and I certainly have areas where I disagree with them, but there was a misrepresentation in social media, and I just tried to correct the record, and immediately <laughs> I was jumped on. Well, don't you know that's a fake religion started by a science fiction writer, or it's a cult, or this kind of a thing? Can you talk a little about uh, how scholars, there, there's great disagreement over how religion is defined in general, but then there's a whole category of invented religion that scholars have, have coined. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Scientology definitely does bear the brunt of that. Uh, and just from my personal engagement with Scientologists, all the ones who I've met have been completely sincere, uh, completely dedicated, and really seen it as something that was very transformative in their lives. Um, so I suppose... Going back to that question of what is religion, uh, I don't know. And, (laughs) um, you know, I suppose um, we've all got our kind of tacit working definitions of religion, but, you know, I still haven't come across that, that kind of perfect definition that I think encapsulates all varieties of things that, that I want to call religious. Um, And I think one of the big problems we have in defining religion is this reliance that we have on veracity claims, the idea that there needs to be some kind of core truth and that if you want to be uh, critical of a religion, the best thing to do is say, oh, well, the following elements must be made up or, you know, there's limited evidence that this prophet was a historical figure or you know, this holy text was written a thousand years after it was claimed to have been written by followers or all sorts of things like that are are used against religions to say that there's some kind of inherent logical flaw. So when we take a religion like Snapeism, which is based on the Harry Potter books, and we start asking questions about, well, can we consider this a valid faith? If your definition of religion hinges on the idea that there does need to be some sort of long-term historical truth, then you're not going to find that and you're going to dismiss it. But if you're looking at does this have a profound effect on the believers, do people really have a very sincere 
connection to this fictional character, do they actually come to believe he's more than fictional, then all of those things, the answer is yes. And it seems very unfair to me to completely dismiss that and to completely consider that not a valid religion or people's responses to it somehow being invalid. I think that's a an unfair way of approaching the field of study. Isn't there a sense uh, that, that our subjectivities and our assumptions are at play in answering these kinds of questions? I mean, it just seems to me that there are certain religions that have more, uh, it's assumed to have more cultural legitimacy. And I don't consider religions A, B, and C to be true religions because they're not similar and they don't conform to, for example, Abrahamic religions. Would that be correct? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And even some sort of hint of someone trying to invent a religion or make it happen um, is seen as such a profoundly invalidating force even though historically you know the majority of religions including abrahamic religions they do have historical figures at the forefront who've really done their best to convert on mass promulgate the faith um have the holy texts you know written down and canonized there are numerous historical figures who have done that and who've made those choices Yet I think a lot of these more recent faiths that we know are based on fictional work, they just don't have that that same appreciation for, for being valid or true or, or having historical legitimacy. And I think that's a shame. I think we miss out on a lot if that's our only set of criteria for, for what makes a religion valid or what makes someone's spiritual experiences valid. So having addressed that critical concern, and, and hopefully folks can just kind of bracket that for a while and have a little more open mind as they consider the rest of our conversation, we're in an era now where the human desire for religion and religiosity and spirituality has a whole new set of tools to draw upon, uh, literature and film and, and the internet and these kinds of things. Uh, so what is Snapeism? How is it an, an example of something new in our time? Well, a lot of what has caused Snapeism is that rise of user-generated content on social media. So a really new kind of paradigm shift that, that those of us who are old enough have been able to witness emerging in its entirety. Um so I think that's had a huge impact on the way that religion and also religious communities have developed. And when we have a look at the core snake wives, they're not living in the same areas as each other. Some of them are living in different parts of the world. They're sharing ideas remotely and they're coming to this sort of core decision about what the religion is and how they should behave through these international discussions that that just weren't feasible in real time, you know, even 30 years ago. Um, so I think there's a huge kind of technological barrier that's been overcome that does allow people from different backgrounds who have intense shared interests and to really talk to each other about those niche interests and I don't think that would be possible before social media. I don't think the Snapers could have come together. And I also think that we wouldn't have 
so much of a record of what they said and how they felt. So it's not just this religion existing on social media. It's also me as a researcher being able to comb through social media, have a look at archived comments and assemble those um, living in Australia where there really is no Snapeism tradition at all. That doesn't prevent me any more than, you know, it doesn't put me at any kind of disadvantage compared to any researcher who can speak English looking at these texts. So it's helped in that regard as well. But I think it's just um, really quite amazing and quite, you know, historically unprecedented that we could talk to each other in such an international scale and also have so many dregs of our conversations just lurking around on the internet, archived beyond what we might actually want, because there really is no evidence that anyone who's been engaged with Snapeism is still engaged or actually wants any of this material out there to be discussed. But it's, a, it's an archivist's paradise on the internet these days. Um, you know, people leave behind such complex trails of data um, and they leave them, you know, there for the, the public to read and react to. So drama that was happening, you know, 15 years ago is living on um, and a lot of people reacting to what I've written um, are still kind of, carrying on these these fights you know a generation later people who were children while I was an adult are suddenly reading what I found reacting to it and having an opinion on snake wives and they just keep bringing it to the forefront so I suppose another another thing about this new technology is that religions can't be forgotten anymore I'm sure there were a lot of religious ideas, philosophies, small communities that have just disappeared forever um, in the past, uh, but on the internet, nothing nothing ever disappears. Years ago, I uh, contributed a chapter to an edited volume on uh, hyper-real spiritualities, and I did a chapter on matrixism, and I remember one of the challenges was it, it, it's not like I could go and talk to a matrixist. It was simply a process of of trying to track down things that have been posted on the internet, uh, maybe trying to get some interaction with some of the adherents and then trying to put the, all of the pieces together and this type of thing. I'm assuming you faced a similar kind of uh, research challenge. What was the process that you used to pull all this together? Yeah, I definitely faced a similar challenge. Um, so I had to rely pretty much entirely on archived works um, because by the time, even though it wasn't that many years um, between Snapeism really being at its peak and me writing this article, even in that short amount of time, um, the main instigators of the faith had had a huge falling out. They disbanded and they had done their best to, you know, pretty much wipe everything they could off the face of the internet. Uh, so I had to use a lot of archived material. Um, I love the Internet Archive Wayback Machine. Uh, that's done me a lot of, of favours. Um, just, just the scraps. I really only had scraps left to work with, and I tried reaching out to the Snape Wives, of course, but... 
they obviously I, mean, I don't even know if they're still alive there's there's no trace of them left i mean they they probably are they they would only be in their 50s but there's just no trace of them they don't want to be found and they have never come out of hiding to talk about anything i've said or complain um you know, I had to be careful. Some of the images I use in my research are partially their own intellectual property. I always thought, oh, one day they're going to come and make a copyright claim. Um, but no, none of them have ever come out of the woodwork in any way. I think they just, they don't want to be found. They don't want to remember this. They've just been so traumatized by reactions to them that even though I think I'm I try to be as balanced as new and as neutral as possible in how I discuss them they they definitely don't want to talk to me so it's really just been a lot of other people who remember them from the time and who interacted with them but in terms of core community members they're they're not there they don't want to be found and I'm just working off off the scraps that they left behind, which, yeah, I think would definitely have resonance with exploring something like matrixism where it's really hit a peak and then, you know, disappeared. Folks might assume that there's a strong connection between the literary works of J.K. Rowling and the Snape wives. Uh, what What is that relationship? Is it kind of a point of departure? Is there a heavy dependence? Is there a rejection? What's that relationship yeah, like? There, there is a surprising degree of rejection there. Um, so first of all, I think the Snape wives were on pretty good terms with J.K. Rowling. They thought that, you know, she was the, well, I think all of us started off with the the very kind of normative assumption that she's the author of a book or a series of books. Uh, they're very imaginative books they're very complex worlds. And I think when someone writes a complex world, it invites uh, a bit of exploration. Um, I think, you know, going back to people like Tolkien and his world of Middle Earth, there's so much fan exploration that's happened. Uh, the same with things like Star Trek, which is sort of the uh, original example of modern fandom when you have a world that's so complex with so many characters it invites your own personal thoughts and your own personal daydreams about it uh, it invites a lot of fan fiction so people writing their own stories that provide alternative narratives to the mainstream Harry Potter narrative or fill in gaps that weren't discussed, exploring the past, the future, all that kind of creative stuff. But I think your typical reader is able to say these are the published books, this is fan fiction surrounding the book, they are different. And I think your typical reader says, wow, this world is immersive and exciting but it is a fictional world. So a big point of departure with the Snape Wives is they doubt that it is merely fiction. So as they became really engaged with the Harry Potter books, particularly around the point where Half-Blood Prince, which is a, a very Snape-oriented book, um, appeared on the scene, 
there were just so many questions, particularly after the publication of the book, um, but before the series was finalised about, you know, is Snape a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Um, a lot of unanswered questions and uh, they were really begging for uh, the Harry Potter fandom to to explore, to discuss, to debate with each other. But what we see with the Snape wives are people who take it just that one step further and they say, well, what if the books themselves aren't correct? So most people waited till the publication of the final Harry Potter book and it turns out Snape is good guy um, that he was trying to save and help Harry all along that he was a double agent on the side of good um, but you know he's he's killed off fairly unceremoniously as well and that was a real massive point of departure for the Snape wives who said no he he deserved a lot more than this so they agreed with the idea that yes he was overall a good moral character but they felt that Rowling just must have made a mistake because her representation of him was so unfair. So they joined this growing movement of canon scepticism, as it was called, where people said, well, what if these canonical texts, i.e. the published Harry Potter novels, are wrong? What if J.K. Rowling was only channeling Snape and channeling the Harry Potter universe and when she wrote that down, she got things wrong. So they started to say Rowling is attacking Snape. She's wrong. She's pro-Harry and hates him. Um, so this final book is actually a corruption of the truth. And, you know, we're here to rehabilitate the legacy of Snape. And there's some really um, strange points in time where they start you know, there, there's fiction that's written where uh, they travel with Snape to see his own buried body in the Harry Potter universe and he sort of explains why that doesn't actually mean that he's dead on the astral plane. Um, and there's a lot of weird issues with time um, because the original Harry Potter book starts in 1998 uh, and the last one isn't you know, they, they start falling out of sync with our chronological time. Each book represents one year but took more than one year to be written and published. So uh, there's some weird hang-ups there in terms of what uh, calendar year Snape passed away, um, all sorts of weird things that, that the Snape wives and other canon sceptics spent a lot of time arguing around, writing around, trying to, to rehabilitate so it's a very strange relationship with the books and it's an incredibly sceptical relationship and a very sceptical, critical relationship with, with J.K. Rowling herself. Do the, the state wives, did they articulate a theology or is that discernible in, in what you're able to piece together? It's a theology that I think borrows very strongly from Christianity um, particularly because um, the members uh, have been at various stages of their lives Christians, um, including one of the the main members who does a lot of channeling. She was once a Pentecostal Christian and 
at that point in time, she uh, felt that she was able to channel the Holy Spirit through speaking in tongues and, and other sorts of activities like that. Um, so she's always felt she has an ability to channel and that idea of channeling is very much a, a Pentecostal Christian idea of channeling. Um, elements of it draw also from medieval Christianity as well, um, that kind of ecstatic sexual uh, experience of the divine. Um, but I, I think most of it is framed through the experience of the majority of Snapers being former American Christians and their experience of American Christianity. So they do have a theology of, you know, Snape being their overall master, that he demands loyalty, um, that he demands their whole heart and soul, and that in, in you know, uh, reciprocation for that relationship, he will look after them, he will guide them, he will give them uh, a lot of the the kind of romance and passion and intensity that seems to be missing from their actual marriages to to human men. Um, there's also uh, a few moral codes that pop up from time to time. Uh, so Snape is, according to them, uh, very much against homosexuality. Um, they have pretty strong prohibitions about that. Um, he allows polyamory in, in very controlled situations um, and also the idea that you're you're in trouble, you're you're lesser if you're not constantly thinking about him and worshiping him. So there is there is uh, elements of of theology, elements of sort of ideal practice that are discussed. But I think most of them you can see a, a really, really strong Christian foundation to them. Well, it's obviously sounds like he's some kind of sacred figure. Do, do they try and with that Christian background and influence, is he viewed as angelic or or saintly or is it possible to categorize that conception? I don't think angelic or saintly is right because he's sort of seen as a dark brooding force. So I feel as though saintly seems perhaps a little bit too nice. He's kind of this dark, <laughs> powerful, negative force. Um, but in terms of where someone like that might be positioned in a kind of divine hierarchy, yeah, yeah, I think he he kind of sits at, at that kind of level of someone who is definitely more than human and can do more than human things. So he can get into their minds, he can inhabit their bodies or the bodies of their spouses, uh, he can change things in their environment. So he can definitely do things that are beyond what a regular human would be able to do. And he communicates through psychic channeling rather than through any other sorts of means. So, yeah, there, there's something there that has resonance um, perhaps with a with a sort of angelic figure, but the energy of him is something that's very dark and very negative, uh, which is celebrated. That's, that's definitely seen as a, a positive. It's really important that he is this sort of aggressive brooding force, even though he's essentially a good guy. He's still a very hyper-masculine, very terse, very demanding person. 
And you mentioned one individual who drew upon a Pentecostal background and was using channeling. Is channeling a feature for many of the Snape wives or is it just predominantly with, with certain members with that particular Pentecostal background? It seems like not everyone was actually able to channel um, and they needed other people's help with that, um, which I suppose is is a pretty typical experience in any religious group where not everyone is able to have that kind of direct bodily relationship with the divine. Um, not everyone seems to be wired that way in any tradition um, and there usually are special categories of people who are more able to have that direct engagement with the sacred. So there was definitely kind of a natural hierarchy that formed with with people like uh, Rose and, and Tonya, which are their names, uh, who were a lot better at channeling than others and that definitely put them in a very special kind of priestly position. So I would say channeling was very broadly accepted as how Snape communicated and anyone could be a vessel for his channeling. But in terms of the actual practical lived experience of the religion, um, not everyone had that ability to channel. You mentioned that uh, polyamory was approved in certain contexts. They're, they're calling themselves the Snape wives. So yep. did, did you have... Did, did, did my, can you talk about that marital process? How was that viewed? Um, was it, did it ever lead to any conflict between women who were sharing this particular spouse? They were kind of encouraged to see each other as sister wives. Okay. So I think it, it led to a bonding. And I suspect, again, coming from the Americans, I suspect um, Church of Latter-day Saints is probably their in their mind, particularly FLDS, uh, which was on the news at the time. Um, the, you know, a, a lot of news was breaking at that point with Warren Jeffs and his compounds. And I just wonder if some of that kind of idea of polyamory snuck in. Um, but basically the, the dynamic at play is that they are all married to Snape because they've made that active commitment. They have all had wedding ceremonies with Snape, uh, which has a large channeling component. So he is one individual monolithic figure and they are all his wives if they choose to make that commitment. So that kind of polyamory is allowed, that kind of polygamy of one man with multiple wives who he has spiritual relationships with. Uh, and just on a practical level, a lot of these people were older women at the time. There were women in their 30s and 40s. So a lot of them were already married to human men. Um, they already had children. They had, you know, a pretty typical kind of domestic life. So in order to be married to Snape, there still had to be some sort of acceptance of they are legally and socially married to someone else who is not a miraculous figure. So the other kind of polyamory that was allowed was that they could keep one earthly husband and that Snape would often inhabit the body of that earthly husband, um, you know, to have sex with them, to have romantic moments with them. 
Um, but that's as far as it went. So, you know, there, there were pretty strong rules about it and none of the sister wives were in any kind of sexual relationship with each other uh, because homosexuality was was so strongly frowned upon. So they really went to a lot of trouble to clarify that none of the women had any kind of relationship with each other even though they would channel Snape in really erotic scenarios for each other, it was made very clear that that was not a sexual encounter between two women. That was a sexual encounter between one woman and Snape with another woman as medium. So there really is a lot of effort put into establishing those boundaries. In years past, it used to be that uh, academics... Uh, could not carve out a respectable career in the area of the study of new religious movements. It was something. I don't know if I have a respectable career. I, I think you do. I, I happen to think that new religious <laughs> movements are are more important uh, now for scholars to to interact with and understand uh, than they were back during the cult wars, um, yeah. so called cult wars, and so on. What lessons do you think the study of groups like the Snape Wives has for those of us? who are trying to understand contemporary religion and spirituality? I think it's a good lesson to be neutral, to be calm commentators, and to not go out saying what people should or shouldn't believe. Um, I think that that is not our role as scholars. So if you're something like a biblical historian, then, yeah, okay, you can go through, you can date manuscripts, you can point out flaws, you can point out things like multiple author hypotheses. That's fine. But I think that generally from a religious studies standpoint, it's not our job to look at people's sacred texts or their belief systems and to say this is right or this is wrong or this is better or this is more real than something else. And I think when we're faced with something like a fiction-based religion, so your example of matrixism, uh, there's also Jediism, which you know started in part um, as a way of protesting Australian census and the fact that we get asked what our religion is as part of our, our census every four years and, and people do feel very uncomfortable about that. Um, so when you have things that clearly have this fictional origin, there's that temptation to be like, well, that's not valid, that's not real, this is just made up from a fictional text. And I think it's it's good practice to be looking at some of these religions where we can see their origin point. There's no kind of, you know, thousands of years of historical ambiguity. We can see exactly where the religion started, who started it. It's very easy to see logical inconsistencies it's very easy to watch the downfall of leaders and to judge the religion based on that. And I think that's that's too easy. That's not fair. And it's not a reflection on anyone's actual lived experience. So I think it's really good, like, looking at something like Snape Wives. Do I personally think that Severus Snape is anything more than a fictional character? No. But do I think that he actually has some kind of existence beyond that because he's real to people and he lives in people's imagination and they really are having very sincere experiences forming deep community bonds? Yeah, I think that's real as well. 
So I think it's a good challenge to us, even if we can see the entirety of a religion's development, even if we can see things where we personally are like, well, I don't agree with that, or this is clearly a misrepresentation of history or what a horrible person has been involved in this faith. It still shouldn't be something that that makes us completely go against its its validity as something that's incredibly meaningful for the people who are part of it. These communities are real, even if we want to say, okay, Snape's not real, he's a fictional character. Well, he's real because he exists in this collective imagination of people and that that still has a lot of validity. Uh, and that's what I love about the study of new religious movements. And I also really uh, respect organisations like Cessna, which are there looking at new religious movements, taking them incredibly seriously and liaising with them directly, you know, doing a lot of work to promote the fact that new religious movements are very valid, very important parts of people's lives. And it's not our job to go around saying, well, that's not real, or this is too new to be true, or I don't think you had that spiritual experience. Our job is to instead have a look at the communities, talk, see what they get out of it, and to really respect that as something that's deeply sincere, just as sincere as people's relationships with any other older or more, in inverted commas, traditional faiths. So I think an extreme example like Snapeism, where the vast majority of people are going to say, this is a bit ridiculous, and that's the reaction you get just consistently from Snapeism is, this is ridiculous. Well, I think that's a good challenge to us as scholars and people who aren't scholars but who are interested is, why do you think you have the right to say something that's so unpleasant about something that means so much to the people involved why can't you spend a moment looking at the actual meaning of this tradition rather than unpacking what you think is a shady historical past because I can assure you every religion has a shady historical past every religion has big question marks over it every religion has problematic members every religion's had dramatic fallings out like there is no religion that is completely different from all of the others, completely immune from these things. Yeah, any religion involving human beings has got its problems. Exactly, exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. Well, I uh, just enjoyed your your paper so much, and I will include a, a link to that, and I hope folks will seek Thank that you. out. Did you, do you have well, any other? Well, it's open access, so they should be able okay. to... Uh, really fantastic that I was able to do that uh, but the publishers very kindly gave it to me open access for free um, so it is something that that everyone even if you're not a member of an institution or an institutional library you can still read this fantastic do you have any books related to this or anything you're working on that you want to no no this was a real little standalone thing it was something that I'd wanted to get off my chest for you know, six or seven years um, and something that I never had the skill set at the time to analyze. But it was just it was just living in my head rent free. And I had to, <laughs> I had to release the snake wives um, <laughs> on the world. Um, but I got to say, there has been some really interesting commentary um, 
about my article after the fact. Um, my favourite is by one of the people who was my friend, uh, still my friend, um, but during those fandom days, uh, Ashley Reese, who wrote uh, for Jezebel about Snape Wives and interviewed me for that. Uh, so there's been some really interesting feedback and really interesting reactions to the paper. Um, and I've been really pleasantly surprised by how many people said, oh, hey, actually, yeah, maybe I am being a bit unfair here. Um, maybe my focus is on the wrong thing. And other people who just want to use it to laugh at, which is fine as well. I'm not I'm not offended by these things. Um, but no, it's it's a dead end in my own research journey. I don't think I've ever I'm pretty bad at referencing. I'm a, I'm a serial <laughs> self-referencer. Um, and I don't think I've ever referenced this one again. Um, but if people want to find out more about the Snape Wives, there is some really, really interesting commentary that has been sparked. And that's all I wanted to do with this paper. I just wanted to capture an era in time and bring it back to life for people who are my age um, or bring it to life for a whole lot of people who are, you know, 20 years younger than me and really interested in reading about it. So, no, you can't find any more of my work that relates to this, but there's there's plenty out there by other people who are amazing commentators and stuff by people who are terrible commentators. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully the link will get you some more readers for this work and uh, maybe lead uh, folks to some other work that other folks are doing as well as other subjects that you're tackling look if anyone wants to know about the aesthetics of self-harm i've got you covered but that might be a little <laughs> bit of a leap or if anyone wants some communication and economic skills you know come and enroll in my courses uh, but i feel like that may be a little too much of a leap but hey you never know. You never know. But no, well, you never know. <laughs> that's right. Well, I I appreciate your flexibility. Uh, we had a little time well, challenge well our, our, calendar, our calendars, but I really appreciate the, the time and you coming here on the podcast to, to share your expertise and the research that went into this. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful to talk about it. And if anyone wants to reach out to me with any questions or comments, um, I'm happy to keep the discussion going as well. Fantastic. Well, again, I want folks to look at the program notes for uh, Zoe Alderton's bio and links and link to this uh, open access journal article for more information. And you can reach out if you have any more questions to her. And I would like to just thank everyone for watching and listening until the next episode of the Multiface Matters podcast.